colleagues, uh, back to uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. Uh, I'm your hostess, uh, Karen Tate, uh, here with you in our 13th year. And this particular day here at Venice Beach, uh, rather than having uh, a nice cup of tea or a glass of wine as we do the show, I am sitting here with a tall glass of ice water. Because let me tell you, even here at Venice Beach, uh, it is hot and humid. So I hope uh, wherever you are, you are comfortable and you are staying cool. Well, uh, I just want to tell you about our wonderful guest tonight. Uh, I think uh, we have another great show for you. Uh, Our guest is Roberta Grimes, and uh, the topic of our show might sound a little bit unusual to you, uh, but I'm sure our guest will uh, let us in on her book titles. Um, Her first book uh, was called The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and uh, her second book about the afterlife, The Fun of Staying in Touch. So uh, I, I, I was I was totally intrigued uh, when I heard these book titles, and uh, I thought, well, I have to talk to Roberta and see what she knows uh, that the rest of us don't. Uh, but before we get to Roberta, I just want to mention that uh, if you stay uh, tuned in with me till uh, the end of the show, uh, you will also get a treat uh, because Pat, our roving reporter, uh, has sent in some um, articles that uh, folks who probably listen to my show will be uh, greatly interested in. So uh, you want to stay tuned in for that. Uh, And by way of uh, getting to know our guest tonight, uh, Roberta Grimes, uh, just a little bit more, uh, let me introduce you to her by way of her bio. Uh, She's a novelist, speaker, and business attorney who had two extraordinary experiences of light as a child, uh, and uh, she attempted to understand these experiences. So uh, as a result of that, she spent decades studying nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communication uh, from the dead and other afterlife-related evidence that eventually enabled her to assemble an in-depth understanding of who and what we are, how reality works, uh, the nature of the divine, and the meaning and purpose of all of our lives. Uh, So tonight, uh, that is exactly what we're going to be chatting with. And um, I guess we will say hello to Roberta right now. Hi, Roberta. Hi, I'm so glad to be with you. This is going to be fun. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. I uh, I really appreciate uh, you being with us tonight. And, um, you know, this is a, a topic that uh, uh, intrigued me, as I'm sure it, it intrigues most people. You know, we all want to know what's on the other side of the veil. We all want to know, uh, you know, what happens when the lights go out. And uh, to be honest with you, and, you know, you might chuckle at this, I don't know, uh, but for those people who their their pets are like their children, maybe you'll you'll understand. Uh, at about the time I heard about your books, um, my one of my beloved pets, uh, uh, Isis, uh, she's a, a tortoiseshell kitty. Uh, she we had her for 20 years, and she passed away. And I thought, well, you know, maybe Roberta's got something to say to me that will make me feel just a little bit better about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, actually, I get many more questions about the deaths of pets than about the deaths of children, which I think is kind <laughs> of amazing. But every day I hear from people who've lost a pet, every day. Well, you know, I, I think our pets give us unconditional love, uh, you know, for the most part. And, you know, I have a theory, uh, you know, for what it's worth. You know, I don't mean to offend mothers out there. You know, myself, I'm childless by choice. But, you know, I think some women uh, or, or, and men, you know, I think sometimes they have children uh, because it's expected and, um, you know, it's what society, uh, you know, thinks we do when we reach a certain age. And, um, you know, some people can't resist that, um, you know, that, you know, fall in line, so to speak. And, uh, and maybe they'd actually be quite happier without children. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, but I, I know I'd, uh, I, I'm happy I have cats. <laughs> yeah, well, I right. Everyone's different. Actually, we plan our lives beforehand. And some of us have planned child-free lives, and some of us have planned lives with the children who are going to come to us later. So um, these things, we we, we do have free will, but we exercise a great deal of our free will before we ever come to Earth. Wow. Okay. Well, we're off to a good start here then. Uh, Well, well, you know, I I was going to start with the experiences of life that you had, but as long as we're on this sort of vein, let's continue to explore that. Um, you know, tell tell me more about that. About life planning? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before you're before you're actually uh, before you're actually born and in that life. Well, our lives actually are like trips to a spiritual gym. We, our minds are eternal. We never we never begin. We never will end. But it's very difficult to grow spiritually, which is what we're trying hardest to do. It's hard to do it there because there's nothing to push against. It's all so ideal and perfect and wonderful. So we we come here as if we were going to the gym to strengthen our spiritual muscles. That's really exactly what happens. We strip down to a, maybe 10 or 15% of our eternal minds, just as you'd strip down to shorts and a T-shirt. And we come here specifically having planned a life, just as you might plan your your gym session, with certain things, and usually they're very negative things in our lives, as something to push against. I mean, that's why bad things happen to good people. The people have planned it. People don't believe this, but that's only because they think this life is like the main the main course. This life is not even an hors d'oeuvre. This is just a tiny aspect of our eternal lives. It's like, it's like going to the gym, really. Um, and so the bad things that happen to people... Uh, Bad illness, death of a child, you know, horrible, all the bad things are generally what we planned. And uh, we plan a life with the person we're eventually going to marry. We plan, uh, maybe if we're going to have two marriages, we plan that. We plan who are going to be our children, um, all of that. We, We choose our parents very carefully. Now, that I've heard. I've heard before that you choose the family that, you know, you are uh, going to be born into because of, uh, you know, challenges uh, you want to face and, um, you know, I guess uh, succeed or or conquer, uh, you know, whatever lesson you, uh, you know, you want to learn this time around. So, uh, um, you know, that that expands on that um, even more. It's very interesting. Um, so, Roberta, well, let's let's go ahead and go back to the beginning. You said, uh, in, you know, in your materials, it said that you had two extraordinary experiences of light as a child. Um, how old were you, and what were the experiences? 
I was eight. Um, it was April of 1955. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was sure there was no God, and I was terrified. Good little Christian child, you know, we never had questioned that there's a God. I was, I was terrified. And in the middle of the room, there was a flash of bright white light, and I remember how that room looked to this day because of, of the fact that the experience has stayed in my mind all this time. Uh, and a voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Oh, okay. Well, when you're eight, everything surprises you, so nothing really does. I just thought, oh, that's handy. If you forget there's a God, they remind you, and I went back to sleep. But it's in the nature of these experiences that we never forget them. I feel as if that, I mean, that was more than 60 years ago, and I feel as if it just happened. And I, it made me... I never, you never tell people when these things happen to you. I never asked a question, so I never got an answer. I just assumed I'd learn about it in the course of growing up, the way you learn other things, and I didn't, so I ended up going to a very nice college and majoring in religion, of all things, early Christian history, because I thought, for sure, when you go to college, they'll tell you what happens if you forget there's a God, but I never asked a question, never got an answer. And that's why I ended up spending my entire adult life researching the afterlife, because I think that that's where the light must have come from, and I was actually right about that. So, um, yeah, it shaped my life, let's just say, which I think is what it was meant to do. And 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 once again, what was what was uh, what did the voice tell you? And and I assume it was God speaking to you, right? No, um, it was my primary guide. I'm sure about that now. I didn't know at the time okay. who it was, but it was a young voice. It okay. said, "You wouldn't know what it is to have me unless you knew what it is to be without me. I will never leave okay. you again." Okay. Okay. All right. And so that was when you were eight, and then but you had a second experience. Yeah, because I went to college, and, you know, when you go to college, you, like, want to learn important stuff. And I had spent the my the first few years of my college education studying early Christian history, of all things, just because I wanted to know where the voice came from. And I never, I was no closer when I was 20 than I had been when I was, you know, 10. I was really bummed. I came home from um, my summer job one just before I turned 20, and I sat down on my bed feeling very glum, and the, the same voice, actually, the light came over my right shoulder and splashed in the room, and the same voice said, I will never leave you. And that's when I, re- I knew, of course, that the first experience had been real. I mean, I remembered it very well, but still you said, that's not possible. Well, now I knew it was real, and that's when I really started my research, when I was when I was just turning 20. Wow. Um and, and, you know, I find that very interesting, and, and you actually answered one of my questions. I wondered if after that first experience, you said you remembered it, you know, for, for the next eight, you know, for the next ten years, basically. And I wondered yes. if at some point you thought maybe you it was your imagination or you were deluding yourself. Or I, I think it's only natural that we ask uh, ourselves those things. Um, well, yeah, and, because you're growing up, and it was very, you were very young. And, yeah, you, you do – I didn't so much question it as I I began to distance myself from it. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just too – I didn't even want to think about it. But then, after the second time, I did want to think about it, never since it's driven my life. And, and so, uh, and yeah, I, I, I can understand how, uh, yeah, something like that would, would – um, and, uh, and I'm wondering, uh, was – 
was there something you know looking back on it that maybe uh, triggered it? I mean, was it was there stress or something? You know that this was kind of a, a voice of um, comfort, or was it just sort of out of the blue? It was out of the blue, and I didn't understand really until I was in my late sixties why it happened. Um, I had come into this lifetime promising to do some things for my primary spirit guide. And he was basically taking control of my guidance at that point. Um, He wanted me to know that I had guidance, and so he just withdrew briefly, which woke me up, because we don't realize each of us is a walking crowd. We We have spirit guides around us. We have angels. We have all of these beings taking care of us. And when suddenly he withdrew... I was, I, I was. That's what made me think there was no God. I, I, I felt bereft, and so then he came back, and that was the start of a relationship in which he guided me my whole life very closely. And I didn't even know who he was until two years ago, and I did all these things thinking it was my idea, but it wasn't. It was his, and it was a deal I had made with him before I was born. Wow, so so many questions. Um, so uh, so what I think I just heard you say is when you heard, after you heard him at the age of eight, he disappeared until you were 20, right? No, no, he was always with me. Your spirit guide feels like a part of you. That's how closely they, how they, they cling to you all the time. Okay. I mean, you, you, that's the reason that you can feel centered and, and not, not alone, which okay. most of us are not even aware of it. But he had been right there. But then he withdrew when I was eight so that I would know the difference. And then, okay. and which is why he said, you, would, if you, you wouldn't know what it is to have you if you didn't know what it was. If I hadn't withdrawn, you wouldn't have known what a difference it would make having me. I gotcha. don't know why he felt the need to do that. But again, you know, we never, we never know what they're doing. They're, they're on their own trip often. Well, and then fast forward to uh, you said you uh, knew you got more clarity on 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 your guide and all of this when when you were sixty. So forty years later. Well, actually, I was almost seventy when I got the got a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was working with my guides, and we do. We all the time are working with our guides, and we think of it's just an aspect of ourselves that we're working with. But, for example, you, you talk about the title of The Fun of Dying, which is kind of an odd title. I wanted to call it Dying for Dummies, um, because uh, no, Dying for Idiots, because I thought Dying for Dummies would be taken. And so Dying for Idiots, the, the, the publisher said, you have to come up with another title, but I couldn't think of one. Then I woke up, literally two months before it went to press, I woke up in the morning, and there were three titles in my mind, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, and The Fun of Growing Forever. And I thought, oh, that's better, The Fun of Dying, and I went with that. I I knew The Fun of Staying in Touch was going to have to be about communication, and in due course, I found myself writing that one, and that was published. I didn't know, though, what The Fun of Growing Forever would be about until much later, I mean, he's basically been channeling all these books to me. I thought I was writing them on my own, but, you know, you've got, you get humble as you get older, and I realize that I can't write without his help, so I'm glad to have it. <laughs> and, he, and fortunately, he's given me a lot of books to write. All right, um, fair enough. Uh, so tell me more about him. I mean, 
is uh, is there more of an identity to him than you recognize this? Uh, I'm just going to call it an, an entity or essence uh, as your spirit guide. Oh yeah, there's a big identity to him. This was this was one of the literally this is the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. I, I in in the um, summer of 2014, my mother had died in 2012, and I got the sense that she wanted to talk to me. I I. I had tested mediums in, as part of my research. I didn't believe they were real. I thought they were all cold-reading charlatans, and I didn't want to go to a medium. But my mother, I thought, was reaching out. Somebody wanted me to con- get in contact. So I contacted a good medium, someone who was highly recommended, and made an appointment for February of 2015. I had a wonderful time talking to my mother and all my other relatives on the farm that they all have there, uh, and it was great. And then about... Ten minutes before the hour was up, the medium said, oh, all your guides are here. Would you like to talk to them? I said, well, what the heck? So um, I have 11, which is a little more than most, because I, I also write fiction. I have fiction guides. I have a nonfiction guides. We all have guides to help, help us with our personal life. And then we have other guides who are there to help us with this. For example, if you take up playing the piano, a guide will come along to help you do that and be hmm. with you for a while so you get going, at least at least for a while, sometimes forever. Well, um, I had I had all these guides, and then my master guide stepped forward. We all have one master guide who helped us plan our life and who was with us through life uh, and usually is a close eternal friend. Now, what I'm going to tell you is kind of boggling. It took me a while to even accept it. Um, but he stepped forward, and he said, you may call me Thomas. And I knew immediately who it was, and I was bowled over. I said, are you Thomas Jefferson? And it turned out he was. He had well, That was <laughs> wow. not even his last lifetime. He had one more after that because he, had, he, he felt he got out of kilter uh, with that lifetime. He said he had too much power and he didn't always use it well. So he took one more lifetime as a humble guy in Wales. But um, it turned out that I had promised ahead of time, he and I apparently are old friends, we've had 17 lifetimes together, and I had promised I would write a book that he had uh, written in his old age. He was very spiritual, and he had written a book about Jesus and then felt he couldn't, it was not the right time to publish it. So he wanted me to write it now. And he had been trying to coach me because we work with our guides at night. You know, where while our bodies sleep, our minds don't need to sleep, and we, we visit with our dead loved ones, we take classes, we you know, have a smoke. We basically get out of our body and do other stuff for a while while our, while our bodies sleep. And he had been trying to coach me during those nightly meetings. Just, it was time to start to write this book, and I was balking. So it's unusual, very unusual for them to break into our day life, daytime lives, but he broke into mine. And so then that was why I wrote the book Liberating Jesus. That was his book, literally the book he had, he had asked me to come into this lifetime to write for him. I was happy to do it. I've since discovered that he had another purpose, too, that I had, and I, this one I was quite willing to do. Um, he was, the, the, it, it seems that the great disappointment of his life was that he was not able to end slavery. He hated slavery. And so he he's trying to fix the racial problems now. And I've written a book called The Fun of Living Together. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And that was another that that's another of his books. Um, and it already is getting attention. I think it may be able to help us to heal the racial divisions in this country. Wow. 
Um, I'm kind of bowled over here. Um, <laughs> you, you are. You should be me. It took me a while even to accept it. That, but, but I, I, I. There are so many reasons I know that this is who it is that I now accept it, and I, I don't feel honored so much as I feel as if I've just got a comrade. I'm always, always, almost always male. So it's not that we've had a romantic relationship. It's more that I'm a comrade in arms with him, and we've done a lot of things as buddies. Okay. And I had to com- okay. I had to be a female this time because it just for a variety of reasons it was it it was helpful in doing what I'm doing for him now. So obviously, then, um, uh, you know, it, 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 reincarnation is a no-brainer. We definitely are. Uh, you know, anyone who thinks when we close our eyes, uh, the lights go out and it goes dark and uh, you know that's it. They're they're under uh, a misconception. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's surprising to me that so many people are so clueless about what goes on. But um, the, the the people that we used to think were dead are very concerned about the spiritual development of the planet. We actually have gone very far in the wrong direction. Too much negativity. So as as part of their process of trying to raise the spiritual vibration of the planet, um, they're coming up with much better ways of communicating with us. And within the next decade, they tell us much sooner than that, but I'm giving them a decade, we're going to have um, probably it'll be an app on a phone, but you'll be able to call up your dead relatives whenever you feel like it. And talk on the phone. Okay, you're really you're really blowing me away now, Roberta. <laughs> I I got to tell you. Okay. I I'm pretty open-minded, but you are blowing me away. Um I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I mean, I love it. I think it would be incredible. Um Yes, it so, would be. It would be. Um, so so let me so let me ask you then um and, and i mean there's so so many directions i want to go in i want to know about god i want to know more about the the you know the spirit guides and i do want to know more about reincarnation and all of that but i have to ask you about my cat <laughs> okay um, I'm, I'm happy to talk about your cat and and you know I guess I, I, I wonder you know um, how how well or for the benefit of anyone you know um, how can they know that you know their loved one that's passed on uh, is okay uh, that you know um, you know that that they know they're still loved and thought about. Um, I, I don't even know exactly what to ask you. You know, uh, is she still here with us? You know, or is that a crazy idea that we just, you know, hold close to us for our own comfort? Um, what can you tell me? Well, the first thing you should know is that human beings are part of the divine. The only thing that really exists is an energy-like potentiality, which is actually what we experience as human consciousness. That's what manifests the universe. That's what God is. And our minds are inextricably part of that same energy. So our minds are part of God. Um, the, with, with animals of all kinds, they are of a purer essence in a sense. They're not of that creative force. And they have what are called group souls, which they return to after death. But if a human being has loved an animal that animal develops a separate existence and is waiting for us once we get there. Um, And sometimes people will get signs from their pets that they're alive and that they're fine. I mean, I got a communication dream from my horse that blew me away four days after he died. But not always. Sometimes they don't. Right, Um, right. 
But yes, they're, so they're all there waiting, and they're young and healthy and happy. And because there's no time there, they they'll just get there, turn around, and there you'll come forty years later. Okay. Okay. Well, that's 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 some comfort. That's some comfort. Thank you. Um, so so our spirit guides are they our past relatives or not necessarily? I mean, I know you said like if you're going to go learn the piano, will someone you know uh, specific for that will show up? But just in general. Um, you know, sort of guiding our life, is it our ancestors or not necessarily? It, it's not necessarily. Um, so there, there, there seem to be certain kind of groups. We, number one, we all belong to soul groups, specific groups um, that go forward and tend to incarnate at, together repeatedly in various combinations. Um, and, for example, my primary guide is, and I are part of the same soul group, and that's why we've had all these lifetimes together. Um, I am now the family. Usually your family, your close family, will be part of your soul group. But in this case, because I needed to commit at a certain time and place, um, I ended up with a, m- m- nobody in my close family is part of my soul group. But that's fine. I mean, I love them anyway. Uh, but that's, that, that, that connection is not there. The connection is really with my primary guide and my primary soul group. Um, sometimes people will... Uh, come back and be guides for their for their uh, uh, loved ones who have survived. For example, um, I have a friend whose son died when he was 20. He came in specifically so he could communicate with uh, uh, with modern people and teach them because he's an extremely advanced being. He, he's a level six being, which is almost as as high as anyone can be and still communicate. And so he came and took, he had last lived in the 1600s, he came and took just a, a 20-year lifetime and then died at 20. You know, the last, that was his last exit point at 20. So he could communicate with his mother and through her, and he acts now as, as her primary guide. Um, so she, she's, he's basically joined her original primary guide in, in guiding her. That kind of thing can happen. Um, their book, by the way, is called Flying High in Spirit, A Young Snowboarder's Account of His Ride Through Heaven, and it's a terrific book, Flying High in Spirit. I really recommend it. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I can just hear my listeners screaming, ask her, ask her. You know, so <laughs> how so – how, <laughs> I know them by now. Um, oh, you know, how, how, do, how do we um, – you know, because, look, I'm a down-to-earth Virgo, okay? And even though I've had some very mystical experiences and I believe they were really true and weren't delusions, um, you know, sometimes when I hear people talk about this, you know, I, I I I kind of put a little bit more of a skeptic's hat on, you know, and so so when I'm asking you this, don't think I'm doubting you. I I just really want the information. You should doubt me. Yeah, well, no, you should doubt me. Well, you know, I give my guests the benefit of the doubt. You know, I I, I really try, and 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 I guess what I want to know is, you know, how can we how can we know more about our soul group, you know, and what's their uh, their mission, so to speak, and and if we haven't yet found our guide, how do we connect and and maybe benefit from uh, their guidance, or are we benefiting from it? We don't even, even though we're not conscious of of them being there. Well, first to answer a question you didn't ask, how do I know this stuff? I've been working in this field for fifty years and doing a tremendous amount of research. And I'm, if you think you're a skeptic, I'm the biggest skeptic there is because I've found something real, 
and I, I don't want to believe anything that's not real because I don't want to mess up this picture we're, we're developing. We, uh, there are quite a few of us doing this work now of what actually is real. And, and ev- I, everything I'm telling you has so much evidence from so many different sources okay. that it's pretty much beyond dispute. Um, the, uh, the way, if you want to contact your, your spirit guides, the best way to do it is through a very good medium. I mean, the one that I used for this purpose is Suzanne Wilson. She's called the Carefree Medium um, because she lives in Carefree, Arizona. And you, wherever you live, you can you can use a medium who's in Arizona. But she actually does um, intuitive development sessions with people specifically to help them contact their guides. And I did that after... After I discovered that Thomas was there, and I wanted to, I was desperate to get to know him better and to find out what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I did one of these um, groups of sessions with her, and it helped a great deal to deepen my my relationship with him. Now I'm I'm aware of him very often. I can sort of he's usually by my left shoulder, um, and I often can sort of feel what he's feeling. I mean, is he upset? Is he happy? He's pretty happy right now with what's going on in our work together. Uh, but I had I was as clueless and unpsychic un- as a post in the beginning. She's helped a lot with that. So, again, that's the carefree medium, Suzanne Wilson. I don't okay. know of anyone else who's as good at helping people contact and work with their guides. Well, and 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 thank you for that referral too, because you know I have uh, communicated with people who were uh, you know paid people who were supposed to be psychics and. Uh, they weren't very good, you know. I, most um, of them were not good. I'm sorry to say, most of them yeah, were not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and um, I, I I know you know they're probably very well intended, but you know very I I can't recall any that's really kind of hit the nail on the head, and anything they said actually ever came true, you know. Um, but so, but let's go back to all the study you did, um, and, and then you know I, I know we keep jumping back and forth here, but um, that that's a very good point that you raised. And um, what were uh, you know what did you study that you felt was the most definitive for you? You know, if if say my listeners were going to read two books or go to two sources, um, what which ones do you think were the best? Well, for me, um, and I was doing this work, um, you know, I really got deeply into it in the early 70s. So I've been doing this for a long time, and there wasn't much then until Life After Life, uh, Raymond Moody's book, which was the book where he coined the term near-death experiences, there was very little in the term, in the way of, by the way of literature available to most of us. But after that, there began to be more books. And one of the great thing about books is they have bibliographies, so I would read the, the sources that all these people had used. And I discovered that we have a great many um, communications received through deep trance mediums in the very end of the 19th and about the first 40 years of the 20th century. And uh, I, I got into those, and I was reading as much as I could of those over, over decades, well, not decades, over many years, because... They were um, naive. I mean, they were they were they were received in 2010. I, I mean, 1910, 1920, 1930, and I was skeptical of anything channeled after about 1950 because I figured it was just people trying to make a buck. But when I read all of the, I read you know hundreds of communications received way back then. 
it was clear they had all been to the same place. They had the same, it was the same process, the same, you know, um, the pastimes, the same way they dressed, the way that the physics was all the same. It was all the same. So that's how I knew this was real, because there were no outliers that I found, and there were, was also no copying. It was amazing. And so, so well, and of course they didn't have Google then either, where they could no. go on the internet and That's be right. influenced by by one another. So, Absolutely. what were what were these similarities that you that you just mentioned? You know, it was the same uh, same things you were seeing over and over again. Well, um, the the process of dying is always the same. Um, the, the what happens at death there we all have people who come for us that seems to be universal we call them deathbed visitors they arrive sometimes a day or two ahead of the death sometimes they're literally an hour or two ahead uh, of the death but they're people that where we where we love and will trust because as soon as we're out of our, their, our our bodies they need to get us to get away as quickly as possible from the death scene and that's what they do and the the Every, the place we're going is right exactly in the same place we are. Think of it as think of reality as like channels, like like your mind is a TV, and right now it's tuned to that body on this level of reality. That's why you think you're in this body right now, but you're not. You're nowhere near it. Your 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 brain is like a two-way radio in the head of a meat robot. That's all it is. So. Um, but what happens at your death is your mind tunes to a slightly higher channel in the same place, and it picks up a whole new solid reality. And so people would, would talk about this. That often they, they have a sense of going through a fog, but sometimes they don't even do that. They, they just suddenly they're in this new place, and it's exactly in the same place, and it's, it's beautiful. It's very earth-like. It's just as solid as the earth is. Um, but it's of a finer material. It's really not made out of matter, uh, of, as we think of matter. But it looks the same. They all talk about the way it looks. It all looks the same. It looks like Earth, except nothing ever decays, and there are colors that are beyond the visible light spectrum, and um, the, a lot of vegetation. The North American summerland, we call it the summerland. That's a Viking term. The North American summerland uh, it has the Rocky Mountains, actually. You can see the Rocky Mountains in the foothills. And beautiful, uh, you know, formal, very formal gardens. Some of the buildings, uh, they would, different people would be describing the same building. And they, you know, somebody, was, they died at different times. They didn't know each other, but they're describing the same building. It was just amazing. I, it was, hmm. I, I was almost drunk on this experience of reading all these wow. communications. So, all right. So the the deathbed visitor comes, uh, whisks you away to this new earth. I'll just refer to it that way. This new earth. Then what happens um, is that you know we hear that you know your your you know you see your whole life pass before you, but that may maybe that already happened. Um, you know, is there some sort of god or judgment, or and what if you were a bad person? Is there hell? Uh, what about all of that? Well, the only judgment is by oneself. Actually, Jesus told us that. We just ignore him when he says it. Um, What happens is very soon after we transition, we rejoin. Remember I said we stripped down to a small part of our mind to come here? We rejoin Mm -hmm. our larger mind. Suddenly we remember all our, you know, we remember past lives. We recognize all our friends. It's, it's, It's glorious. It's really the most amazing homecoming. 
But very soon after we arrived, we, we and our primary guides and, and sometimes other people from our, the life we just lived will go through a process, which is what, what is the life review. There's sometimes a life passes before your eyes sort of thing before we fully transition. But there always is a life review once we're there. And it seems to go backwards, although sometimes not. Sometimes it goes forward. It seems to be whatever is going to be best for you. But you get to experience not just your entire life over again, but you get to experience all the effects you had on people in your life. Hmm. When I learned this, boy, did I start being nice to people. You have no idea. Because most people don't even realize you know, so you've hurt feelings of people's feelings, or you've you, you've done this or that that maybe cheated someone, and maybe maybe you didn't even mean to. Even people who've led very good lives will find it kind of anguishing to go through this life review. But the people, you know, your guides are right there, and everybody is encouraging you to, you know, it's okay, and you're asked to forgive everybody in your life. And actually, what's amazing is people always forgive everything. Family got murdered in the Holocaust, no problem. You forgive everything because you realize it wasn't really real. The people you huh. love, all your all your family, everybody is right there with you. It's like it was you were all in a, this weird game. And so, so yes, we so always other words, forgive if, others. If you've, if you've been married to someone for 30 or 40 years and I, you, you, are, you know you will see them again on the other side with some certainty. Oh, sure. Always, yes, okay. 100%. Um, and but 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 here's a here's an important point. Then you're asked to forgive yourself, and because you have just experienced pain you gave to other people, it is very hard to forgive yourself. The fun of growing forever is a book specifically about how to learn to forgive, and that is so important because all the training we give ourselves on learning to forgive here that's prep for when we're going to go through our life review and we're going to have to forgive ourselves. And if we don't, if we have trouble forgiving ourselves, we, we lower our spiritual vibration to the point where we can't stay in this summerland. We, we, we drift down. Uh, and the lowest level of which we're aware is what Jesus called the outer darkness, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's just what it is. It's horrendous there. It's really, it's the actual hell. But the only person who puts us there is us. Is we don't have to go there. Yes. Okay. Ourselves. So- so so the the teachings of the church then uh well i mean you know we at at some point we realize they're about power and control but obviously they've either either misunderstood or distorted uh jesus's message they ignore jesus's message that's the problem yes um they, they and it's interesting because a lot of the most objectionable aspects of christianity weren't even present in paul's teachings they 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 started about a thousand years ago, and that that's when the control thing really became major. Yeah, Christianity. It's unfortunate because Jesus is absolutely accurate. He, the, the dead are the dead validate everything he said of importance. But what the church teaches, nothing about it is true. There is no anthropomorphic God at all. There's no judgment by any God, as Jesus told us. There's no judgment by any God. Hmm. Um, there's no judgment by anyone but ourselves. So is is there something that, uh, you know, other than, you know, like a, a consciousness, I mean, is there like a divine source? Um, yes. H- how would you describe God, goddess? There is no being that's a God. God is 
Um, the, Mikey, the fellow who died at 20, when asked to define God, he says, God is the unity of pure love and all that exists. That's his definition of God. The unity of pure love and all that exists. Essentially, we are away from our source to the extent that we allow negativity to influence our lives, to the extent that we allow ourselves to feel fear and anger and hatred and all the negative feelings. Um, we distance ourselves from our source. And the, the more perfectly we learn how to love, the more we, we approach our source. I mean, that's the level Mikey is at is, is extremely high level, where, where it's just nothing but love. Hmm, very interesting. So then when people pray, okay, um, and, you know, people, you know, pray to their God or pray to their goddess, um, is anybody there listening to help them, or is that just some human-made convention to help us uh, feel like we're not alone? There's no God as a separate entity listening. What there is, though, is all of this love that is that it, we, it's hard for us to imagine how much we're loved. It is incomprehensible how infinitely precious each of us is, and our our guides and our angels and all of these beings are right there and they're listening. But they are God, just as we are part of God. So to to to, to think of some other listening is really an inaccurate picture of how reality works. There's no other. We are all one. We're all part of the same being, and that being is God. So would you say, okay, so I'm, I'm, you know, uh, trying to wrap my head around this. So let's say someone is praying because they think, you know, God, goddess is listening, uh, but who's really hearing us is, um, you know, our spirit guides. Um, if we feel like suddenly our prayers were answered, could it just be that somehow our spirit guides influenced us down a particular path that made whatever we were praying for better or possible or depending on what it was you were praying for? Well, that's a, a human way to express it. But again, our, we have, we have, our minds are very limited while we're here. It's very hard for us to comprehend this, all of this. It's just like, you know, you can't understand how a computer works. It's just much too complicated. Well, there's a, it's all very complicated, but it's all still exquisitely simple. Um, our guides will influence us in various directions uh, if it's good for us because we've come here to have experiences, and those experiences may be unpleasant, as part of, and they're part of what we have planned with our guides so that we can grow as much as possible. Because what we most crave when we're in the afterlife levels, which is the re actually the real, the real life levels, what we most crave is spiritual growth. We want to grow so desperately that we don't really um, want to be spared negative things because it's the negative things. That's how you strengthen your spiritual muscles. So we want True. those things to happen. So sometimes they will let these things happen that we're trying to avoid because they know it will help us to grow spiritually, which is the whole point. But since nothing ever dies, since you know there's nothing that can ever, ever harm us, it, it, it's just very different from what you and I fear. Um, there's nothing to fear. We have absolutely nothing to fear. So when you say no religion puts spiritual growth first, um, uh, uh, unpack that for me. Religions are not 
all religions come from ancient teachings. Um, I don't know of any any. New, I mean, the most the newest religion I know is uh, Unity, which unfortunately is turning itself too much into a religion at this point. And even that is more than a hundred years old. And we are learning new things all the time. We are we are we are evolving and growing spiritually to a tremendous extent. So when we look at I'll take Christianity, which is the one I know best. Christianity is essentially a first century Jewish sect. It has tried not to grow at all from the first century. And what, what, what first century Jews understood was very primitive. They were literally the, the first, or among the very first monotheists around them were people worshipping many individual gods. So they, those were really off track. But Jesus came to the, the first true monotheists to try to teach them what really is going on and get them to the next level, which is God is spirit. Well, we've learned a lot more about the fact that God is spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it's just like every other area of our knowledge evolves. We have somehow, for some inexplicable reason, decided our knowledge of the divine should not should not evolve. Everything has to stay. Um, God made his last revelation 2,000 years ago. Well, that just is nonsense. And religions are based in fear. The old religions were all based in fear, and Christianity is still based in fear. And since spiritual growth, by its definition, is moving toward love and fear is at the opposite end of the spectrum, any religion based in fear cannot help you grow. It's impossible. True, true. I, I mean, I totally agree, and uh, and and I also believe that uh, Christians today uh, are on a different planet than Jesus. Uh, you know, because yes. they're not doing what Jesus would uh, do or say. Um, That's right. But uh, so, why is uh, the teachings of Jesus the easiest and more effective for achieving? Uh, spiritual growth. I mean, I'm assuming you're not talking about the institution that is Christianity, but more right. uh, has, Jesus yes. himself. Just Jesus. Jesus I, there, I, I came to a point in my life when I came to understand that Christianity is so utterly different from what Jesus taught that you really can't follow Jesus and be a Christian. It's not possible. Uh, you can't hold both belief systems in your mind at once. So I picked Jesus. And what's great about the teachings of Jesus is that they are consistent with these limited minds we have when we're here. Our minds here are designed for spiritual growth. They have three characteristics. Let me, let me not screw this up now. Three characteristics. Number one, they're habit-driven. Number two, they're very adaptable. And number three, they're lazy. So... Basically, you can easily train your mind to do different things. When, when we get upset, um, we have trained our minds. You've trained your mind that when someone cuts you off in traffic, you should get upset. So you're going to do that just like clockwork. And, I mean, you've trained your mind that when your husband leaves his socks on the floor, you should get upset. You know, those kinds of – we teach our minds these things. You can just as easily, in fact, maybe even more easily, teach your mind – Never to be upset at all, and there are there are um, in in the book the, the fun of growing forever. There are some simple exercises you can do that will retrain your mind. And once you've done that, you never have to forgive anything again because no matter what happens, it doesn't bother you. Your lazy hmm. mind has learned not to react 
to any of these things. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach us to do. He was trying to teach us simply not to allow things to cause us to react negatively. How often, Peter said, how often should I forgive when someone does something bad? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, up to 70 times seven. I mean, for each time something goes wrong, you need to forgive it again. And it's too hard to do that each time. I mean, it makes you you do nothing but forgive. However, once you've retrained your mind, nothing bothers you. You never have to forgive again. Um, so we're talking even people, we're even talking Hitler, murder. All of that is just, yeah. you know, let it go? Yes, it's, it's all the same. Because remember, none of this is real life. We we go home from here to where it's real life again. We're just in the gym. Okay. And it does, okay. For forgiveness really is a gift you give yourself because Hitler doesn't care whether you forgive Hitler or not. But right. If if you do not allow things to upset you, you've given yourself the gift of peace, and that's a precursor. That's a necessary prerequisite for actually growing spiritually to be in that zone of peace. But, well, you know, but other religions. To finish the other the question you asked, you asked why is there are the easiest. Most religions spiritually um, uh, um, follow Eastern religions where there's chanting and there's yoga and there's meditation and all of these things. The great thing about the teachings of Jesus is you don't have to do any of that stuff. You just. You, you can, within three months, entirely retrain your mind and never be bothered by anything again. It's that easy. Hmm. Nothing could be that easy, but it is. I'm well, sorry, well, go ahead. Someone recently was telling me, well, if you had no expectations, you would never be disappointed. And that this <laughs> almost sounds a little bit like that, you know, uh, but it's how it's hard not to have expectations, you know, expect that, you know your you know your husband isn't going to cheat on you or your boss isn't going to unjustly fire you or some crazy guy isn't going to push the button and blow everything up you know um yeah i mean i it, it's hard to go through life with no expectations but um but maybe there's something to that based on what you just said because it doesn't matter anyway doesn't matter anyway that's very that's true Hmm. The more people um, learn about what's really going on, the less we are invested in this in this world. I mean, uh, you'd think as I'm getting older, I'm about to turn 71, you'd think I'd be going, oh, I'm getting, well, I can't wait. I mean, it's like Christmas is coming up. That's how it feels to be getting old. Yeah. I don't have to go through all that earlier part of my life. It's, well, you know, I, I can really relate to what, to what you're saying, that this life is sort of just, uh, something we're kind of playing at, you know, it's almost a game. You know, this is the game this time, and but it's not uh, really the big picture. It's just uh, kind of, um, I don't know, or it's like one page in a book. If you want to s- say your history, uh, you know, all of your lives is a book, so to speak. Yeah, but it, it's another thing. If I, I love blowing your mind, so I'll do it again. There is no time. Time is like matter. It's an artifact just of this material reality, which even physicists know is less than 5% of what exists. In most of reality, there's no such thing as time. So, in fact, although we do live multiple lifetimes, they're all happening at the same time. 
All of, all of history is happening at the same time. How's that for blowing your mind? And as a result, you can be, be regressed to past lives, but you can also be progressed to future lives. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I've heard that. You know, I've heard that. I don't fully understand it on a deep level, uh, just on a very surface level. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, then that sort of gets complicated, doesn't it? Because that would mean simultaneously you're having these multiple lives uh, that could all look totally different and, you know, you're dying and, and coming back at different times and you're learning different lessons which each life. Uh, is, is the answer yes to all of that? Yes, but it's not, it's not as confusing as you would think because there, remember, you have a much, much, much stronger mind. You, 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 things make sense to you there. It's sort of like an ant trying to understand human life. That's how we are trying to understand what's actually going on. We, we, we just don't have the ability, the capacity to even think about it correctly. Right. Well, so how many, I mean, is there, is it possible to answer how many times then we reincarnate? Yeah. I mean, it probably is. I, that we, there are different estimates. Um, it tends to be in the hundreds, apparently. But it, it, not all of them even happen in this universe. We, some of, us, some of our, our incarnations happen in other universes. It's just all so, so much more vast than we can imagine. So let me ask you this. Isn't one of the arguments, um, and maybe you'll know more about this than me, I'm, I'm really digging deep in the back of my mind, and this is a little fuzzy, but isn't one of the arguments against reincarnation the fact that, um, you know, there were so many fewer people on the planet you know, uh, thousands of years ago, and now we have billions of people on the planet. Um, how do we account for uh, how do we account for that? If it, you know, if we're just uh, coming, you know, if if we started with you know uh, ten billion people, um, how could how can it ever exceed ten billion people? Does that make sense? Because there's no time. Actually, at this moment. In, in non-time, your identity is being created, and also your identity is rejoining the source. It's all happening outside of time. So the number and it turn, it, the, the number of bodies actually that you can incarnate into is a, is a, a curious thing. We think that um, you know we tend to think, oh well, there are so many bodies here there probably aren't even souls enough for them. In point of fact, uh, there's competition for getting a body. You can't automatically get one. You have to come up with a plan because there are far more people in the in the afterlife who want to come back at any given moment than there are bodies. We're told, which to me is so how really do we, amazing. So how do we spend our time in the afterlife if uh, you know when we are not uh, you know being in the process of being reborn? Oh, we have so much fun. Um, what, what, whatever you like to do here, you can do there. Everything. I mean, it's uh, Mikey Morgan, who died at 20, learned to snowboard while he was here. He snowboards there a lot. Um, people who, in, who want to learn to play the piano or paint or whatever can take lessons from Mozart and Beethoven and, and uh, you know, Picasso. Um, you can go swimming, and the water actually is like silk. It doesn't get you wet, so you, and it's, it's energy-giving. 
you can use all kinds of vehicles. And the great thing is the vehicles are all mind-driven, so there's no exhaust. You can and do we take eat classes. And and have, I mean, well, do we eat and do all the human things, have sex and, you know, all of these well, those things? Are, and those, are, those are separate questions. We don't have internal organs. We are able to eat, but we, we never are hungry and we never feel full. The, the food disappears as we eat it. It's conjured up food. It tastes the way we remember that food to taste. So pretty quickly people give up eating and drinking because they, their bodies don't need that. Our bodies are nourished by what we breathe and by just going into the water, which is energy giving. So we, we just don't. It's just that we have a different kind of body. But, yes, we can have sex. Um, but we don't, as Mikey says, there's no sex drive, so people don't want it. And the reason they don't want it is there's something much better you can do. Um, it's, there's a body-melding thing that they do. Remember, we have energy bodies that, that they say produces a full-body orgasm. And you can do it hmm. with anybody. Anybody. Wow. There's, there's no morality attached to it. So who bothers with genital sex when you, when you can do something better? And tell me it lasts more than a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you can last as long as you wanted to. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but, so, but there's so, so much Roberta. to do there. We, 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 just, we have so much fun doing other stuff, too. A lot of people don't even, after they get over the novelty of, of the body-melting thing, they don't even bother with it anymore because everything is fun there. You also can go and, and, and see all your favorite performers. Um, Sinatra performs. The biggest performer there right now is Elvis. So Elvis isn't really hiding somewhere on the planet. <laughs> no, alive. he's there and he's having fun. You can so, you can um, see early Elvis, late Elvis, and you know old fat Elvis, whatever, whoever you want to see, you can see. Because he's there in all different uh, all different well, because guises. He, he, he performs a lot, and he he performs in whatever different. You know, he, he likes to perform in all his different aspects. So he you can go to a performance whenever you want to. And the reason, if this is so good over there, the reason people want to come back is to continue to uh, improve their spiritual uh, their spirituality. Yeah. I think you said that yeah. at the beginning, right? Yeah. But um, here's the problem: if you, it, most of us are, are not very spiritually advanced, and above in, in vibration, above the Summerland, it is much more fun. If, if, if it's fun there, the beauty and the things you can do and the joy of it going higher is just beyond our ability even to imagine. And people want to experience that. So they have to yeah. come back and grow spiritually. Um, so so let's get back to uh, I, I realize I have another question about Jesus. So if there is no God, you know, the, the, the source, um, you know, the, the source is, overarching there is umbrella. A yeah, but the, well, there is a source. But the source is all that is, and we are part of that source. But there's no guy with a beard and thunderbolts, no. Uh, and, and no goddess with a uh, <laughs> uh, with, with, with long flowing hair has, no. either. Yeah. Um, yes. So, so then, who was Jesus? It, uh, I mean, obviously, it would be a mistake to say he was God. No, he was God, um, and, and is God. The, the, according to Thomas, and I tend to trust his judgment on this because I was very curious about that. Who was Jesus? Was he very advanced being? He says. Jesus was, when he came, already so perfected that he was uh, of the highest aspect of the source energy, far more advanced than any human being. And therefore, he literally, uh, as Thomas put it, God could walk the earth and look through his eyes. He could be God. He could embody God. And that's because he was of such a high vibration. And he says this, too. 
he'll, he'll say, um, sometimes he says, it, it's not me speaking these words, but it's God in me speaking. I mean, he told us that God was in him, that, that God inhabited him. And according to Thomas, he came specifically because he was God wanted to better understand what it was to be human and try to figure out how we were kept screwing up so badly uh, and, and teach us how to fix it. So he hmm. experienced human life, saw how we were screwing up, and told us how to fix it. So do we have anyone walking the planet right now that would be close to uh, his equal? I don't think so, but I, I, I just I can't answer that question, but I don't believe so. I'm not aware of anyone. Okay. Um, so if, a few more questions. This, uh, you, you mentioned other, uh, did, I don't know, did you say other universes or something? Um, so that would, uh, you know, the, the whole idea, you know, lots of people are, you know, more and more, you know, the whole ancient alien thing is sort of becoming like a secular religion. Uh, and a lot of people believe that, you know, we are here on this planet. Our, you know, our DNA had been seeded by people from another planet and they made us workers to mine ore. I think it's all the Zachariah Sitchkin stuff. Um, it, it have, is, do, do you think any of that has any reality? I have not been interested in um, the whole alien thing. Um, but I, I, what I've, for the little I know is this. There are many universes, most of them not material, and there are, the, the, this universe teems with life, and they're all of the same consciousness that we are, and many of them are very intelligent. Some of them have already perfected their, for example, the Arcturians um, have abandoned their planet because every one of them has become perfected. And now they're acting as guardians of the Earth because we have let our vibration get so low here that there are very negative entities that try to milk us for, for, uh, for evil energy. I mean, if we wonder why things are getting worse on Earth, partly it's because these Apparently, and I don't know much about this, apparently it's because uh, these negative entities have been stirring stuff up on Earth to cause fear and anger and all the negative emotions. And now the Arcturians, because they would milk us for that, but now the Arcturians seem to be keeping them away, and so things are going to start to get better. So where do the, uh, I mean, where was the homeland of the Arcturians? No idea. No idea. I I, I don't know. Because remember, time exists only in this material universe. So, so many of the questions that we would think of, because we, when we're here, our limited minds think linearly, and mm-hmm. nowhere else do minds think linearly. So many of the questions we have almost don't even have answers because they're irrelevant. They're only tied to the material universe. Okay. Well, and that you know, and there goes the question of you know how uh, how long is uh, have people really been on the planet? Uh, that would that would be a linear question, right? Right. Yes. And it appears there have been many. We've been here a whole lot longer. Here's you want to hear a fun story. You know, you you know the asteroid belt, which is between I don't know Mars and Venus or something. I don't know where it is. And it, it's near, it's near us, but I can't. I I don't remember. I'm not a um, interested really in the um, planets. Well, the, the, the asteroid belt was, once was, according to what some of the higher people say, most, more advanced beings say, was a planet called Marduk. And Marduk was a very advanced, very peaceful planet that, that seeded other planets in this universe, one of which was the Earth. 
and there was a colony on Earth and a colony, I think, on Mars or Mars, someplace. And the Mar- the Mardukians inadvertently blew up their planet. They didn't mean to do it. They blew up their planet by drilling or something too deeply. And when they lost their home planet, the Mardukians had to think quickly and figure out how to how to survive. And what they did was to interbreed with um, and find a way to interbreed with these proto-humans on Earth. So we are all Mardukians. Well, that's from interesting. That. Isn't that strange? Uh, I don't know if it's true, but I think it's a fun story. And and what, one of the things that's, that people do a lot in the afterlife is is tourist travel because you we move just by thinking. You can be anywhere you want, including the far end of the universe, just to think yourself there. So one of the places people like to visit is the Mardukian afterlife, which is, still exists and is thriving, so we can go you know, meet our relatives. And they say it's quite beautiful there. Hmm. Um, okay. Um, that one I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around, but that, that's okay. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, that, I know. That's okay. Um, so I, I want to end this on a positive note. Uh, you know, you've alluded to, and I haven't really asked you many questions about it yet, uh, that things are going to get better. Um, speak to that a little bit. Um, you know, what what uh, what have they told you? What do you know? How long will it take? You know, in general terms. I mean, you know, we're we're not going to hold you to a day and a, a year. Um, what can you tell us? Well, in general terms, Thomas, um, who is is at a relatively high level, says that um, if we don't do anything. Within 200 years, things are going to get much, much worse. One of the things that's a little scary to me is he talks about um, uh, one of the things that's going to happen is that we'll, we will no longer be able to reproduce except in laboratories, and everyone will be so poor there will be very few people because people can't even afford to have children. And do you know that the sperm counts are going down dramatically in the West to the point where very soon they think we may need to reproduce in laboratories? I thought, oh, my goodness, Thomas, it's coming true. Wow. But he says um, things are going to get so bad that in 200 years, the, 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 what he calls the so-called Christians are going to start Armageddon on their own. And that's what they're trying to avoid because, of course, that would, that would really destroy everything. Um, war is the worst thing that could happen if we're trying to raise our vibration. So they're working on raising our vibration. And there are a lot of people who have come to Earth specifically at that, this time uh, just to help people learn how to turn away from fear and anger and toward love. And that's the reason why they're trying to work on this this app or various ways for people to be able to communicate easily with the dead because scientists, in all their folly, more than 100 years ago established materialism as the fundamental scientific dogma. As a result, they will not look at the afterlife evidence. I mean, it's pathetic, really, that they that they are, have turned science into the religion of atheism, but that's what they've done. However, when everybody is able to call up dead Aunt Martha and get her recipes, people won't even pay attention to the scientists anymore, and therefore they will then have to start looking at all of this. It seems to be that uh, have been good that we didn't know what was going on because it helped with our uh, spiritual growth here, but now they feel we have to know that in fact there is an afterlife and life is eternal. So that's what is about to dawn on Earth, and that will really change everything when you think about it, um, because it certainly has for the people I know who know what's going on. They're all lovely people. Nobody, nobody is bad. They're all good people, and I think that's going to spread over the Earth as we come to know the truth 
which is that we are truly are eternal and we are infinitely loved. So, uh, okay, well, that 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 all si- uh, sounds well and good, um, but don't we think that you know some of these religious fundamentalists they think they're good people too, and they think they're doing the work of God and blah blah blah. Um, I, I, or, or are you saying that even that those sorts of people will have some kind of an awakening to understand that that sort of thinking uh, is uh, has no place? Yes, because well, for the simple reason that we'll be hearing from the dead. I mean, one of the uh. things that was that was happening. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, all that those re- that reading I was doing back then was whenever these questions were asked, the dead would say, oh, I can't tell you about God, I can't tell you about this, I can't tell you about that, because um, it's, it, it's not like what my family believes, I don't want to upset them. Well, now they're going to be ha- quite happy to upset their family, and they're going to say quite openly to anyone who will listen, um, you know that the religion is wrong. Follow Jesus. Jesus is right, and, and or or other. There are other other great teachers too that they will tell their their loved ones to follow. And it was going to be very difficult for people to cling to any negative beliefs uh, because the truth is just so glorious. So okay, so let's go back to the timeline again. Um, is or in our lifetime, are we going to see any significant change? Well, I'm already seeing changes myself. People are much more aware of this stuff. I mean, when when the fun of dying came out, uh, and that was only you know seven years ago, most people when I would give t- talks and so on would not. They were clueless. Most people had no idea what was going on. But now, um, I would say more than half of the people in the United States have a pretty strong sense of all of this, and that just took seven years. Um, give it another. But Trump seven, eight, nine, still ten. got into office. <laughs> um, um, you know I, what I, I mean? It, yeah, but but the, 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 here's the problem you have: the things that are being said about Donald Trump are not true. Um, they they are people are scared to death of of someone who is trying to do a lot of good stuff. I mean, I'm not political. I think both Republicans and Democrats have done a disastrous job to this country. I, I'm just not political at all. But I also know that there's a lot of fear uh, simply because people are not um, willing to understand just how bad things are. He's trying to fix some things. He's interested in doing some things that I don't think any other president ever would have done that would be very good for the country. I happen to know this because I know some people who know him. Okay. So, okay. so, so just all I can say is just be open-minded if things, well, if good well, things start to happen. Allow that possibility. Well, oh, okay. Well, I, all right. But, but the, you know, maybe the. Uh, uh, let me rephrase the question. Um, you know. The, so many of the people who are his supporters, um, you know, are not the most tolerant people. Um, I wouldn't, you know, at, at least but from what example, we can see. Well, example, I, well, I mean, I don't, I don't have names, but a lot of them are, are anti-immigrant, and you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, they, they, they tend to be more on the fear-based side than on the love side. I don't see that. I guess. 
I mean, I, th- I think a lot of them are against illegal Im- immigrants because they're afraid of them. But, but I don't think they're against immigrants per se. I live in Texas where we have a lot of immigrants, and um, I don't see anyone against them. I, uh, but, but I see a lot of people who are saying it's time to, to keep the, the people out who, who might do harm to us. I mean, let's vet right. them. Let's bring them in, but let's vet them as they're coming right. in, not just right, let anybody right. in. Right. Okay. Um, so, Roberta, is there anything I haven't thought to ask you that um, – wait, wait, what was your answer about well, – we, well, you said you're already seeing stuff change in our lifetime. I guess I'm – let me ask you this one question first, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you, you know, uh, what haven't I asked you that we should know? Okay. Um, but So let me rephrase that last question about what will we see in our lifetime. You know, I guess I'm looking for – uh, a world that um, it's more about the common good. You know, it's more about uplifting uh, people, uh, investing in each other instead of, you know, all of our money going to the military-industrial complex or, you know, wars all over the planet, uh, you know, about taking care of the earth and, you know, have us try to vibrate on a higher level, you know, actually – uh, you know, love one another instead of fight one another. Um, some people in the circles I move in, you know, they refer to that uh, as um, ideals of the sacred feminine, you know, uh, because we've been living in patriarchy, you know, sort of this authoritarian, uh, you know, power and control domination uh, kind of uh, ethos and, you know, that sort of, um, you know, caused a lot of suffering on the planet, you know, rather than living in a cooperative, nurturing partnership type of uh, relationships on the earth. So I, I guess I'm asking you, um, that's the kind of world I think uh, the people I know want to live in. Is that something uh, we may see a shift toward in our lifetime, say in the next 20 or 30 years? Um, you'll see you... it during one of your lifetimes. I don't know if it'll be this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was cheating. <laughs> no, I, I yes. I, the, the the problem we have is that we the only way we get there is all together. We don't get there by. Um, I mean, as I look at things, I see some of the people who are are causing the most hatred, anger, and disruption really are the people who are opposing Trump. I don't know why they're doing that. He hasn't done anything yet to, that they should oppose. But um, I, 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 I mean, all of us need to come together and try to make a country again. And that's just the first step. We, we can't go anywhere. I mean, to, don't be afraid of people who live in the middle of the country and who um, you know, don't don't think that the that the coasts are necessarily on the right track, because we're all Americans and we all want what's best for the country and for the world. All of us do. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't. So let's just let's come together and try to understand one another first of all, because that's the first step toward making that better country. Okay. Well, I don't want to get into politics with you, so let's let's avoid that. But. Um, it, but I agree with you. You know, we do need to find common ground. We do need to figure out a way to come together. And most of the hosts, uh, most, I'm sorry, most of the guests 
that I've spoken with on the show, you know, overwhelmingly they all say that the only way we heal the divide, uh, you know, and, and put an end to a polarization is love and understanding, you know, listening yeah. to one another. And totally. and, yeah. and 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 I totally I totally agree with that, you know. Um, so, all right. So let's go ahead and 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 close then. Um, what um, you know? It, it, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, but I, I get the feeling that that you have so many other things in your head that I haven't even thought to ask. <laughs> um, you know, are are there one or two things that you think would uh, you know that I haven't asked that you think listeners really need to know or would want to know? The most important thing for everyone to know is that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. We're not immortal. Don't define yourself in terms of death. Death is a foreign, foreign concept to you. You are, you are immortal. You are eternal. And that's what you really are. And when you know that, you know there's nothing to fear. You are indestructible. Nothing can harm you. Yeah, uh, well, like you said, you know, we're energy and we just keep changing form. Yes, and, you know. and it's hard to express how much people are loved, infinitely loved. Um, that's the first thing that, that people tell us from, from where they're going. You know, when we hear back from our relatives and friends, love is the air you breathe there. This is this is just an illusion, and it's not a very pleasant one, but we come here just so we can grow spiritually. It gives us something to push against. Okay. Um, so, Roberta, do you uh, – well, first of all, I want, I want to thank you for all of this insight you shared uh, tonight. I, I found it extraordinarily interesting. Um, uh, it, would you give us the titles of your books again, and if you have a website or – um, you know, any classes or talks you might be giving soon? Because uh, obviously listeners, um, you, know, uh, you know, my listeners are all around the world. Um, I, I, first, let me just say my website is robertagrimes.com. Very easy, just robertagrimes.com, one word. Um, I do a weekly radio show and podcast called Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Then you could, the easiest way to get it is on webtalkradio.net or just go to robertagrimes.com and click on the radio uh, t- tab and it'll show you where to go. And we talk about all this stuff. That's why I call it Seek Reality. There's so many different things we can talk about in that, in, under that umbrella. Um, my books are, that are my nonfiction books, are The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, Liberating Jesus, and My Thomas, which turns out, I thought it was a novel, but it's actually a channeled account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage in the Revolutionary War. Cool. Well, you are one interesting lady, and you've been very busy. And on top of that, uh, you're also a speaker and a business attorney. Um, it's like you're living multiple lives simultaneously in that one body of yours. <laughs> I am, and I'm having so much fun doing it. I've, I'll be married 45 years this month, and I have five grandchildren and three children. So I have a lot, a lot that I enjoy doing. You've got a lot going on. Well, Roberta, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, you being on the show tonight. And uh, all the best with your books. And, you know, I get the feeling that you feel like this is your mission in life. 
you know, to help spread this word, uh, you know, for the benefit of humanity. And uh, I just want to say, you know, uh, kudos to you, and uh, I'm glad you're out there talking, you know, talking the gospel of love, so to speak. (laughs) Thank you so much, dear. It's been wonderful talking with you. Okay, good night. Good night. Well, that was interesting. I'm going to have to uh, re-listen to my own show a couple times, uh, I think, to grasp everything Roberta uh, filled us in on tonight. But uh, uh, that was an awful lot of fun and certainly uh, very informative, too. Um, So, as I uh, told you at the beginning of the show, uh, I have some interesting articles, uh, some of them about Wonder Woman, uh, that I'm sure you're going to want to hear. But first, before we get to those, uh, I have promised Joe Carson I would let her have a word with you. Most people see humankind as going separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock as you. When I came out of it, it was my mother's planet. I grew out of the earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, what you were hearing there uh, was the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, uh, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film, and the spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affect the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them for yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you know what? You can get the DVD and the booklet for that very low price of only $20. Uh, What a deal, what a steal. Uh, And you can get that uh, going to the website dancingwithgaia.com, dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, Now, next week um, on uh, the 9th, my guest uh, for the show is going to be uh, Eileen Workman, and uh, she has written the book, Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World, and uh, we will be chatting about um, uh, lots of interesting things. It seems like love uh, continues to... uh, keep coming up and a lot of our uh, a lot of our interviews I guess uh, the word is getting out there that uh, love is going to trump hate um, we'll be talking about uh, life force and our higher self and um, well I, I don't want to give too much away but uh, anyway Eileen Workman and uh, talking about a, her book Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World And then on the uh, 23rd of August, I will have with me Heather uh, Woodward. And uh, Heather's topic is how to bring the divine feminine into your spiritual-based business. 
So we'll shift gears a little bit there, and uh, we will talk to uh, Heather about that. So um, one last thing before I get to Pat uh, and the roving reporter. Um, Some of you probably remember um, the guest that I had on the show who uh, was just an expert on Crete uh, and the Minoan culture. Uh, Her name was Laura Perry. And uh, Laura's got something to say to you, too. And uh, I'll be getting to it in just a second here, uh, if I can find it. Ah, here we go. Uh, Here's Laura. The Minoans of Ancient Crete come to life in Books and Tarot by Laura Perry. Explore the sacred feminine in Labrys and Horns and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book and the Minoan Tarot. Discover all these and more at lauraperryauthor.com. And if you're into the Minoan culture, uh, especially uh, as it relates to the sacred feminine or goddess spirituality, and you want to hear the interviews I've done with Laura, just put her name, Laura Perry, in the search box, and uh, they'll definitely come up. Uh, and now, uh, as I promised, I've been dangling it like a carrot. Uh, Pat, our roving reporter, has sent in uh, some great articles uh, to share with you. And, uh, and, and I'm going to save the Wonder Woman uh, ones for last. I want to start with this article uh, that was in the Huffington Post. Uh, the title is uh, Planned Parenthood Closures in Iowa, or a Warning to the Rest of the Country. And this was by Catherine Pearson. Um, and it goes like this. Monica Stovall, a 60-year-old call center manager for Planned Parenthood of the Heartland spent much of last two weeks uh, trying to walk her staff and patients through what comes, uh, well actually what came on June 30th when one-third of Iowa's uh, 12 Planned Parenthood clinics would close due to funding cuts. Uh, The phone started ringing the middle of May when Planned Parenthood of the Heartland announced that it would be forced to shutter four clinics, and they haven't stopped since. One patient called to say that she first went to her local Planned Parenthood clinic when she was 15, and her closest health care provider will now be more than a two-hour drive away. Uh, Monica said, uh, and I quote, patients are calling saying, what am I to do? Um, and Stovall, who's worked for the health care provider for 10 years, uh, says she's going to keep her job, but three of her 11 team members will lose theirs, and she worries if it will be impossible uh, for them to find comparable jobs that pay fairly and feel as meaningful. Uh, these Iowa closures are a direct result of a new state law that blocks Medicaid patients from getting their health care at Planned Parenthood or other providers that offer abortions, all of which is uh, very similar to what has been called for under the uh, Obamacare repeal. Uh, according to uh, Pl- uh, Planned Parenthood's estimates, the four Heartland clinics serve nearly 15,000 patients, many of whom rely on publicly funded insurance. Uh, staff at the clinics are busy calling around to other area health care providers 
to see where they can refer their patients. But many of those healthcare centers said uh, they're worried they lack the resources to absorb all of these patients. Uh, Lopez said, despite assurances from Republican lawmakers that no one will fall through the cracks. Uh, evidence from Texas, which moved to defund Planned Parenthood in 2011, lends credence to such fears. Women there in Texas had decreased access to contraception uh, as well as to primary care providers who were simply unable to keep up with demand. Uh, I think they actually have a very low mortality uh, rate there on, uh, on births as well. Uh, anyway, uh, Planned Parenthood staffers in Iowa stress that their patients have come to rely on a particular level of comprehensive non-judgmental care regardless of how much money they have or what their life circumstances include, care that's often in short supply at resource-strapped safety net facilities. Uh, that's very sad uh, what's happening to women across the country, and I don't think uh, there's enough about it in the news. You know, again, women are suffering, and um, as usual, when resources are tight, it's always the poorest people who suffer uh, because, no doubt, uh, women with money will find ways to do uh, what they need to do. Um, so now let's get on to Wonder Woman. Uh, this is another Huffington Post article by Jamie Feldman. Uh, maybe by now most of my listeners have already seen Wonder Woman or you are planning to go see her. I believe uh, she's still uh, in the theaters. Uh, I, I have to say I really did enjoy the movie a lot. It was wonderful uh, to see a female in the lead. Uh, in the lead role and have the males looking up to her and following her uh, and she being the voice of good values, um, yeah, it was definitely a change of pace. Uh, now, I know there were some, um, you know, some people distressed about um, the actress uh, Gal Gadot's uh, Zionist leanings and things like that, uh, but, you know, I am just looking at the movie um, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at the actress's politics. You know, I'm just looking at the movie and the message of the movie and how the movie uh, struck me. Uh, anyway, this, this article that Pat has provided me with to share with you, and thank you again, Pat, uh, is, is titled, Gal Gadot Isn't Wearing Heels on Her Wonder Woman Press Tour. Good for her. And uh, Jamie Feldman uh, submitted this article to the Huffington Post. And she says, not all superheroes wear capes. Some, like Gail Gadot, wear flat shoes. Uh, the Wonder Woman store has almost exclusively worn flat or nearly flat shoes to promote her record-breaking, widely praised film. She's been spotted in fancy uh, Christian Louboutins, uh, sporty-looking sneakers, Louis Vuittons, uh, uh, sporty-looking sneakers, and most wonderfully, a pair of $50 Aldo flat sandals she wore to the film's Hollywood premiere. Uh, Gadot is hardly the first woman to steal our hearts by prioritizing comfort on the red carpet, but hers was a pointed decision, she said, has been years in the making. Uh, she told USA Today, I want to create this trend of doing red carpets and flats. I love wearing high heels. It's beautiful. It's sexy, whatever. But at the same time, especially stilettos, it puts us out of balance. We can fall any minute, it, and it's not good for our back. So why do we do it? I can wear high heels despite having a sprained back, but 
I was like, let's wear flats. I have been waiting for this moment. Uh, the health risks associating with wearing high heels are well known. The shoes can cause calluses, bunions, muscle spasms, and that's if you don't also lose your balance and fall. There's even been a push in different countries around the world to make it illegal to require high heels in the workplace. We salute Godot for putting her flat wearing foot down on this one, not to mention her shoes just plain look cute. Check out Godot's flats filled press tour below. Well, and if you were, you know, there reading it online, you'd be able to click and uh, see her flats. Uh, but good for her. Um, you know, I have to say I was one of those women uh, early on in my career who, uh, when I was working in corporate America, I did wear uh, high-heeled shoes and stuff. And, you know, I, I stopped doing it about, about when I was 30, though. You know, I really did. Um, I don't know... Uh, you know, it, it didn't have anything to do with feminism. It was just a common sense uh, comfort decision, uh, you know, comfort-oriented decision. And, uh, you know, I've never been one of these people that's been a slave to fashion. And uh, I had a wonderful husband, so I wasn't out there in the world trying to look sexy and smart and, uh, you know, uh, how would you say, I, you know, I, I guess I wasn't trying to be a sex object or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, uh, so, yeah, I gave it up a long time ago, and I'm so glad I did because they were miserable, um, as I'm sure you all know. So good for, good for Gal, and maybe she will uh, start a trend. Uh, now, the other uh, article to share about Wonder Woman uh, was uh, coming from Pat, was uh, by Alana uh, Vagianos, another Huffington Post article. Uh, uh, Pat must love the HuffPo. Uh, and it's titled, Everyone Needs to Read This List of How Kindergartners Reacted to Wonder Woman. I remember actually seeing this online. It was really pretty good. Um, even kid, it's, It goes like this. Even kindergartners recognize just how revolutionary Wonder Woman is. Um, and director Patty Jenkins tweeted a screenshot of a list of cute Wonder Woman-related things that happened in one kindergarten classroom after the superhero film hit theaters. According to Pat Jenkins, the uh, film's producer, uh, she received uh, a bulleted list from someone who works in a kindergarten class. And it said, uh, I work at a kindergarten, and this is a collective of cute Wonder Woman-related things that happened within a week of the movie being released. Uh, the top of the list reads, cute doesn't even begin to describe this list. Insanely awe-inducing, adorable is more like it. The list includes 11 bullet points, all describing different interactions between kindergartners about Wonder Woman and her awesome, awesome Amazonian powers. In the caption of her tweet, Jenkins wrote, this makes every hard day worth it. Thank you to whomever wrote it. So here are uh, some of those 11 bullet points. Uh, number one, on Monday, a boy who was obsessed with Iron Man told me he had asked his parents for a new Wonder Woman lunchbox. Number two, a little girl said, when I grow up, I want to speak hundreds of languages just like Diana. Number three, this girl had her parents revamp her Beauty and the Beast birthday party in three days because she simply had to have a Wonder Woman party. 
number four. Seven girls playing together during recess on Tuesday, saying that since they all wanted to be Wonder Woman, they had agreed to be Amazons and not fight but work together to defeat evil. Oh, my God, that's just too cute. Uh, the next one, uh, there is one girl that refuses to listen to you unless you address her as Wonder Woman. The next, another girl was seriously asked, uh, very seriously asked the teacher if she could ditch her uniform for the Wonder Woman armor. She wanted to be ready if she needed to save the world. The teacher laughed and said it was okay, and the next day the girl came dressed as Wonder Woman and not a single kid batted an eye. Uh, the next uh, point, they are making a warp-up dance show, and they asked the teacher if they could come as superheroes. They are going to sing a song about bunnies. The next one, uh, this kid got angry and threw a plastic uh, care over his head, a plastic care over his head, and a girl gasped like in the movie. Um, okay, that one I don't quite get. All right. Um, all right, then the next one here. On Wednesday, a girl came with a printed list of every single female superhero and her powers to avoid any trouble when deciding roles at recess. And then the last one, I was talking to one of the girls that hadn't seen the movie, and the next day she came and very seriously told me, you were right, Wonder Woman was way better than Frozen. <laughs> At the end of the list, the kindergarten worker reminded Jenkins and the Wonder Woman crew just how impactful the film and others like it can be. She said, quote, Consider this your friendly reminder that if this movie completely changed the way these girls and boys thought about themselves and the world in a week, imagine what the next generation will achieve if we give them more movies like Wonder Woman. The original post seems to originate from Tumblr, um, Tumblr user Hot Latino Space Rebel and was published Saturday night. The Tumblr user, user identified herself as a 20-year-old person named Castle. And a follow-up to her original Tumblr post, Castle wrote, she was so happy for all the attention her post had received. And she said, <clears throat> uh, what makes the impact of Wonder Woman so amazing is that even without all of these children actually watching the movie, it has changed the way the, they play games, the way they view superheroes, the way they interact with each other. This is why female-led films are so important, because media shapes the environment in which kids grow up. Wonder Woman herself, a.k.a. actress Gal Gadot, retweeted the list, adding, Wow, the last paragraph really gives me chills. So true, so powerful. Gives me a huge drive to dive in and work on the next one. Okay. Well, that, uh, that is the end of our uh, articles from Pat, the roving reporter. Thank you so very much, Pat, for uh, continuing to keep me supplied with these interesting things. Uh, also, before I forget, um, thanks also goes out to the Reclaiming folks. Uh, the music that I used to open the show tonight was uh, uh, part of a snippet of a, of a, ch of a campfire song. Uh, called Sweetwater, and uh, the Reclaiming folks uh, have a whole DVD or, or CD probably, a CD out um, about these, you know, that, that um, you know, compiled all of these activist um, fireside chants 
that are just, you know, wonderful to use when your group gets together. You know, they're inspirational and uh, encourage uh, activism. And the one um, that they, you know, I have several of them, uh, you know, in my um, uh, in my music library to use. Uh, so thank you, Reclaiming, for the use of that. And tonight's uh, was called Sweetwater. Uh, well, friends, uh, that about does it for me tonight. Uh, I will be back with you again August 9th, as I said, with Eileen Workman. Uh, we'll unpack, uh, you know, some more the idea of love, maybe from a, pers- you know, a perspective, <clears throat> you know, we haven't really um, thought about before. You know, like in a previous interview, um, you know, Eric, we've learned that Eric Fromm, uh, that important psychologist and visionary and writer, um, you know, actually defined love, you know, not in that, you know, the heartfelt uh, way we normally think of love, but he defined love as, uh, you know, one aspect is simply listening to one another, hearing one another. And, you know, uh, that would go a long way, I think, to, um, you know, easing some of the tensions out there. You know, just think about what we go through sometimes on Facebook. Uh, you know, the ugliness that can so quickly uh, be generated because we're not listening uh, to one another. You know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not hearing. So anyway, uh, so we'll be talking a little bit more about love, and then I'll, and then, uh, I'll be back with you um, August 23rd. And we only have three shows this month uh, because I am going to take off uh, one week uh, to celebrate my birthday, and it uh, would be a little bit too difficult for me to be uh, near the Internet. But I um, uh, just want to remind you how important you are to me. I really appreciate your listener loyalty. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being a listener. I know there are tons of other places you could go uh, for your entertainment and your education and your uh, your uplift, uh, but I'm so glad when you uh, when you do come here. Uh, please tell your friends about the show. Um, uh, you know, I, I myself, I'm always so busy. I don't do a good job myself of spreading the word about uh, about my own show. So, uh, if you can help me, uh, that would be appreciated. And it's always great if you hit the follow button that you'll find on um, you know my blog talk show page, because that way, if you are not uh, on my email uh, list, uh, you will. I, you know, automatically get a notice, um, you know, from Blog Talk uh, every week, uh, notifying you what the show is and a, um, a convenient link to click, uh, so you can click right in. So, you know, do yourself a favor and um, you know hit that follow button. Uh, and if you are in the Southern California area, uh, I am going to be at uh, uh, showing up at a number of places uh, in the coming uh, couple months. Um, I'll just, uh, you know, give sort of a, a quick rundown. Um, that way, if if you are here and uh, you know you're looking to hear me give a talk on uh, one of the many you know, things that I talk about related to the sacred feminine as a deity archetype or ideal, uh, you can find me. Uh, I will actually be at the Goddess Temple in Irvine, California on uh, August 27th. I will be facilitating the Sunday service as uh, the lead minister, and I will be giving a talk there uh, as well. 
then uh, the next time I will be uh, out in the community uh, will be September 23rd. I will be at the Pagan Days, um, which is, I believe, in Burbank. Uh, if you're from the area, you probably uh, know where I'm talking about. Uh, if you don't, you can always email me, but that's September 23rd. I'll be giving a talk at Pagan Days. Uh, and the following day, uh, September 24th, I will be back at the Goddess Temple uh, as their primary guest minister again, and I will um, be giving a talk that Sunday as well. Uh, then on Friday night, October 6th, um, uh, there is a, a group in the San, San Fernando Valley. Um, I believe it's a unity group that meets at the Onion, a uh, well-known, uh, beautiful uh, temple, church, uh, gathering place out there, um, you know, in the San Fernando Valley, the Onion. Uh, I will be uh, the keynote presenter and also leading a group meditation uh, on October 6th. Uh, then I will be at uh, Pagan Pride Day in Long Beach, California, uh, on October 15th. Um, then I will uh, be in November. I will be out in Escondido uh, at the Goddess Studio on November 12th. Uh, I've been asked to give a presentation to um, a group out there. Uh, and on November 18th, uh, we will be having a book launch party for my next anthology, uh, Awaken the Feminine, Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. Uh, that will be at the Goddess Temple in Irvine. So uh, it's going to be a busy few months ahead. Um, I hope if you're in the area, you'll uh, come by, say hello, introduce yourself, uh, tell me you're a listener. Uh, you know, we can have a conversation about some of your favorite shows. Uh, maybe you have show ideas on, you know, uh, or topic ideas, um, you know, that you'd like to share with me. And it's always great if you do want to recommend a guest or a topic uh, that you that you provide me with some links uh, to be able to find these guests uh, or research the topics. Because sometimes folks will say, "Oh, I'd love to have, uh, I'd like to." listen to you interview so-and-so, uh, and then the person you'd like to hear me interview, uh, it's really difficult to find contact information on them. Yes, even in these days of the Internet, you would be surprised uh, how some people buffer themselves away, and uh, you know it's, it's very hard to actually reach them, or they never respond to your uh, inquiries um, you know, when you uh, contact them from their website. All right. Well, um, this time I really am going to wrap things up. Uh, as I said, thank you again for being with me tonight. I hope you enjoyed uh, the conversation I had with Roberta Grimes. Um, you know, hope it uh, uh, gave you some comfort, um, tickled your fancy, uh, maybe some reassurances. And uh, I'll be back with you next week, so please tune in. Um, if you really like that uh, music that I played to open the show, that uh, Sweet Water by Reclaiming, uh, I am going to close the show with it so that you can hear it in its entirety. Uh, it will just take me a second here to find it uh, on the list. 
Uh, and here it is. All right. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay cool. Be safe. Have fun. Good night. We are sweet water.